Welcome everyone to FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, as always, Aaron, and tonight I am excited to bring you some Sundance Film Festival 2022 coverage, but not from myself exactly, because I didn't watch a single film at Sundance 2022. I do, however, have some friends that did from the Seattle Film Critics Society here locally. We have quite a few of our group that heavily cover festivals throughout the year, and I thought it would be a good idea to just get together and we can hear some of their favorites and highlights from the fest and hopefully provide some recommendations for you to keep track of and be looking forward to in the rest of this year. So first off, we have, and both of these gentlemen are returning guests at one point or another, Matt from silverscreenriot.com. Matt Oaks, hello. What's up, Aaron? Hey, I'm excited to have you. It's been a couple of years. Matt had done some Seattle International Film Festival stuff with me once or twice. But gosh, I don't even remember the last time we had that festival in person at this point. <laughs> when is the last time there were any festivals in person anywhere? Brilliant. It was going to be this festival, but uh, alas, that did not happen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So Matt's been on before, but we're excited to have him back. He is a longtime Sundance coverer, reporter, journalist. I don't even know what the, the right term is. And attendee. Perhaps. Attendee. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is my um, seventh year. Seventh wow. or eighth. It's been, yeah, it's been a minute. That's awesome. Also with us is Paul Carlson of escapeintofilm.com. So welcome, Paul. Howdy. How's it going? And Paul was with me a couple years ago. I remember we talked about Little Women, and I want to say, I don't know. I feel like there was like a nutcracker or something. It's something else we talked about. Frozen. Like, oh, it was, it was cold. It was Frozen. That's right. Frozen <laughs> 2, I think it was. <laughs> so I was in the ballpark. And Paul, you do a lot of festival coverage as well. How long have you been with doing Sundance stuff? This is actually my, only my second Sundance. So I started out doing a lot of SIF stuff, but this is only my second year. You also cover Toronto International Film Festival pretty much every year, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, Toronto is kind of, I don't know why. I just, I, I like that one just because, well, it's Canada. So it's I have a lot of family in Canada. <laughs> awesome. Well, I wanted to get just a quick bio on both of you. So Matt, I'll start with you. Just where's your site? How long you've been doing film criticism? Tell us just kind of in a nutshell, your little story. Yeah, actually. So for me, I kind of have a funny origin story. I've been doing this technically for like uh, over 15 years. I started a website in college. Um, I was writing for the college newspaper uh, at Whitman College, and I, I wanted to be their film critic but instead I was writing like comedy pieces and they were like no we have a film critic already so I was like fine I'll start my own blog and that was in 2009 something like that I don't know my math is probably off but yeah so I've been doing that for quite a while now in terms of festival coverage like I said I've covered uh, Sundance for seven years always done SIF which is the Seattle International Film Festival I know that we've talked about that before and then my other one that I'm like regular coverage of is uh, is South by Southwest down in Austin which is always a good time and I'm really crossing my fingers that that happens in person this year because I have my pass and I have tickets and I'm also supposed to go for work so the stars hopefully align but uh I'm sure the coronavirus will have its say. Yeah, fingers crossed. Everything seems to just be so disrupted still. It's tragedy, but mm. it's got to end eventually, right? At some point. 
<laughs> hope <Hopefully>. so. <laughs> uh, well, what about you, Paul? When did you get started in the whole film criticism world? And what is your primary coverage look like? My actual story is actually very similar to Matt's in the sense that I started doing this uh, back in college because I wrote for the college newspaper at Western and I edited uh, the paper. I had the luxury of just kind of becoming the, the movie review guy just because I was an editor. So I, I had that position where I could just say, hey, and now I'm the person. So then I just started doing that. And then after college, I just kind of forgot about movies for a while. But I have a journalism background. So I was like, how do I combine these two things and just kind of do my own thing? So I then just started uh, writing reviews of movies I was watching on my own. And I just kind of put it up on my uh, site. And then I started covering film festivals. Again, I was already going to these festivals like SIF and Tacoma. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And since for like, I guess, last almost decade, I just realized like nine years for me, just kind of doing this website and the festival coverage I covered was going down to AFI Fest every November, uh, which is great. LA in November is incredible compared to LA, I mean, November in Washington State. And then a lot of Orcas Island Film Festival and SIF uh, every year. So, and, you know, well, I guess the last couple of years, uh, the North Bend stuff, which is pretty interesting for me because I'm not really a horror person, but it's been interesting to see a lot of that stuff that I would have otherwise missed. So it's kind of how I got here. Awesome. Matt is the horror guy. I'm sure that yeah, that's going to show up today. That's in- entirely my lane. <laughs> hey, Aaron, actually, before we get into any rankings, I feel like I would be remiss not to quickly touch upon the fact that I am now working within the podcast field. Oh, yes, that's right. I mean, if you can talk about it, tell us where you're at now and what you're doing. Yeah. So since uh, end of last year, um, I now work at a company called Podchaser. Hopefully some of your audience has heard of it already, but I am the operations manager there. And what Podchaser does, it's the, the elevator pitch is that we are the IMDB for podcasts. So we do like credits, community curation. There's like a social media angle to it all. So it's been very fun for me to take something that's been, I mean, I'm a, I'm a hobbyist much more so than like folks like you, like I'm, I appear on podcasts every few months, a couple times a year or whatever, but I listen to them diligently. So it's been very fun being able to kind of take that passion and, and take my background in journalism and media and stuff and turn it into an actual place where I make money. Cause no one makes money doing this stuff and yeah. reviewing film. So that's been very fun. And I would highly recommend that anyone who is not aware of Podchaser to check it out because it's a really, really cool platform. And anyone who's listening to this, I, I'm sure is uh, obviously a fan of podcasts. So a lot yeah. of a wealth of content to find there. Definitely. It reminds me, I need to go kind of check up on my profile. I've used it once or twice and you can connect, you can log on when you, when you have guests, you can log that you had guests on and it will track them across any guest appearances. So for example, like if Matt's in there, we could attach Matt to this episode. You could click on Matt and find like a whole list of other podcasts that Matt yep. had been on as a yep. guest or as a producer or as a you know host or whatever the case may be. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool, especially for, you know, the podcast nerd community stuff like our user base is, you know, pretty dedicated to to the craft and there's a lot of a lot of cool content and community and stuff so definitely would encourage anyone to check it out if they haven't already great glad you got that in there i would have totally forgotten all right well with that said with introductions done let's jump into the sundance film festival coverage here and i've got these guys 
and they've listed out five of their favorites each from the festival. We don't know yet if any crossover, so we're going to find that out in real time. And then we'll have a little time for them to rocket fire off some honorable mentions as well. Again, I haven't seen anything, so I'm actually kind of in your shoes as a listener as well, just looking forward to finding out what out of the festival needs to be on my radar as well. So, Matt, we will start with you. Uh, what have you got for us at your, I guess, number five? We'll start at the end and work our way up. Okay, cool. So just to preface this all, this was a really good festival this year. I ended up seeing 33 films total, which is kind of an exhausting amount, but like, it's a lot. Yeah. It's like how many most people watch in like a five-year period, <laughs> but it was, it was a really good festival. There were really only a few that were misses. So it was really hard to, to put together just five. That said, I did do it. I did do the assignment. And so I'll just uh, get right to my, what I put at number five, which was the film After Yang. This is from the same director who a few years ago did the film um, Columbus. Konaga, I I believe is is how you pronounce his name. Kokonaida. Kokonaida, yeah. Yeah, Something like that. But After Yang is, has already been picked up by A24. So you know it's good. It kind of deal, it's like an existential sci-fi movie that grapples with human existence, what it means to be alive, what it means to be family, and sees all of this like through the perspective of uh, a robot, uh, artificial intelligence. I guess robot is probably reductive in the sense, but very just beautifully made, much like anyone who saw Columbus, like you knew that this was just going to be a, a film that's aces in terms of production value and uh, did not disappoint there. Uh, you have Colin Farrell in the lead, really strong cast, uh, very just like philosophical, meandering, but centered in in emotion and and kind of like these big questions. And that really worked for me. So I put put that one right up near the top at number five. All we have the same number five. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had to throw that in uh, just because it is really strong. I'll kind of flush out a little bit. I think the performances, especially the the actor who performed as Yang, he's just not human, and he—I oh, don't want—you know—he's not. What? He's what? not in. He's not actively <laughs> in the film, but he's all throughout the film. Okay, it's hard to define that because he defines very much the tone. He is for what he does. He gets probably the best ROI of any performance in that movie because he's so quietly powerful, so delicate that performance. And the whole film kind of reminded me of, uh, I don't know how familiar you two are with uh, The World of Tomorrow, the animated short, <laughs> had thematically anyway. Okay. Just the idea of, because uh, World of Tomorrow spins that off into a, a, a lot of ideas about memory, but these themes are still explored in this I, in this film. And it is very patient. It's, it's not fast-paced. It allows the movie to kind of move at its own uh, soulful rumination, I guess, is a good way of putting it because you're just going back, like thinking about the plot is driven by the father's attempt to save Yang, but there's a lot of internalization that goes along through that. So the plot's almost secondary because it's a lot of people hemming and hawing about technology and the line between living and artificial intelligence. And I found it completely fascinating, especially in the third act. It explores a lot of weird thematic ideas. I think a, a touchstone for people who are trying to figure out what this is it's almost it's almost like an a24 inside out a bit like there's like 
that whole idea of like memories and like, what does that mean? And what are emotions and how do we categorize those? So there's a lot to unpack here. It's just very, very tender, very well-made film. Well, I can tell you the only movie that I have like already before this conversation had on my radar as my number one attention is this one. So I love Columbus. I it just love the tone and the feel and the, the quietness and the filmmaking style of it. And then it felt like this was going to be that movie with the ideas of like an ex machina, but obviously not thriller. And it just sounds awesome to me. It's surprising to me because I feel like this movie had so much buzz on Twitter coming off of the festival and it's nowhere to be found in this awards list. I'm looking at the awards list right now and there's nothing for this movie. And yet this seemed to be a consistent one that everybody was plugging. So that was a little bit of a shock. I'll tell you this, Aaron, the awards list this year is just, it's a mess. I struggle to understand why, uh, especially with, with like the jury awards, like it just seems pretty random. I mean, like Nanny winning for dramatic, the dramatic competition, just, I'm like, what, how did, what that, but it's weird. Yeah. I think I don't I put too much stock in it. <laughs> I know you're talking about Aaron because it does feel like it surged right out of the gate and fell off the radar. I think it was a lot of what have you done for me lately? By the time we got to the back half of the, only a week long festival, it got overshadowed by probably a couple other movies on this list. But yeah, it's it, it's it should have legs and it will have legs when it hits theaters. Uh, I don't know when sometime this year. I think spread out a bit. poster and maybe even a trailer. I don't watch trailers. So I think the, there's a, either a trailer just came out or it's coming very soon. We'll see. I'll have to look for an announcement. Definitely deserves to be seen in, in a theater, if possible. Just the, the visuals are just mm, chef's kiss. I feel like we say that a lot in the last year and a half. <laughs> like, this deserves to be seen in a theater. Stop sitting everything stage and streaming. Anyway, okay, cool. So that was neat. I, will, I doubt we're going to have that happen again uh, with our number four, but who knows? So Matt, what is your next pick? Yeah, next up on my list, um, I had the stalker thriller Watcher starring uh, Maka Monroe. Uh, this is about a couple who moved to Romania. The husband is originally from there. The wife is not. She doesn't speak the language. She's isolated. She's alone. And she starts to notice that every night uh, while her husband is still at work, that there's a man across the street staring out the window at her night after night after night kind of the the entire structure and like the bones of this are fairly familiar it's it basically does what a lot of stalker thrillers have done before but really just kind of like puts an expert touch on everything i mean make him in rose fantastic she's always great you probably remember her from like it follows and the guest the guest those are behind me I see your poster, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i she really grounds the emotion of of the movie and it's she just gives a stunning performance it's i think she's in like every single frame of of the picture basically and so she really grounds it and then in terms of just the direction it's just very like refined and tension racked and like you're just in it every single second there's not necessarily anything about this that is like incredibly like revolutionary or it doesn't like break a lot of the genre rules so much as it just like takes every single element and just does it so well for like the entire 95 minutes or whatever i was just like locked in super attentive and just it just felt so 
alive and and just so well done. So I I really love it's Watcher. Standing. It, so is it? It's like a thriller vibe to it. Yeah, you would say? it's much more, more thriller. Horror. It's more a thriller than a horror. I mean, there's a couple instances of of some blood, some gore, some light gore, but nothing like. It's like, you know, discovering the scene, a crime scene, not like, okay. you know, saw someone's head is actively being cut off. Oh, this one sounds very much my kind of thing, then. That's my my level of horror that I appreciate when it comes to gore and such. So that's great. Cool. So I'm winning so far. Paul, what have you got for your number four? Yeah, look, going back to watch it for just a moment. One thing I want to quickly add to that is one thing I love about that film is it's completely set in... Uh, Bucharest so it is a st- uh, tale of alienation and there's not a subtitle in the movie <laughs> like you just you're in her shoes this American does not speak the language so it does add this layer of total isolation that absolutely carries and makes that f- film so- feel so much more terrifying because she doesn't know even how to ask for help if she wanted it so I just want to toss that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Actually, I should have mentioned that. I think that that, even though I said that it does kind of play in a somewhat predictable fashion, just taking the stalker thriller and putting it in another country and like playing up that, that language barrier. I think maybe that is what's radical about it and what does really make it sing. All right. So my number four was, it's a very, it's a film festival film. If there's ever a description for one, it's a, a love song and it is a, I don't know how to describe it other than it is the archetypal film festival movie. It's uh, just two characters in the middle of nowhere talking for uh, 80 some odd minutes. Now, I like it because on paper, that sounds like it would completely fall apart, but it works because of its lead actress, Dickie Dale. I mean, that's somebody who you know in a heartbeat if you saw her, but she definitely gets a time, chance to shine in this in this movie. She is uh, she started in was it Winter's Bone years ago, Jennifer Lawrence. And she was actually also in Iron Man three. I don't know. I just go through our whole filmography, but she actually has a, she's a character actor of sorts. If you need somebody who looks, I don't know if there's a del- delicate way of this, but she looks like she's had an interesting looks, life in all of her looks characters. Looks ragged is what she looks. Yeah. She looks like she's had a weathered life. Yeah. And that's kind of what she brings to this film because it is two people. I guess the plot is, two people who are meeting after not seeing each other for decades. They're both widowers. So she's out there going to meet somebody on the off chance that, you know, hey, they, they were romantically involved decades earlier. That's kind of the plot. And you could have made a really basic version of this movie, like just Rudy completely in those two characters and flashed around like, hey, how, here's how they were way back in the day and here's how they are now. But the film is much more tonal. And it's much more character uh, invested in the sense that you get the idea that she's out. Just the idea that she's out there on this hope that this person shows up while she meets these other people. And she has almost a girlish excitement about the whole thing, but it's so understated. And she does meet a couple of other people. But even though there's a little bit of character interaction, this movie is really light on dialogue, but you know exactly what she's feeling, how she's feeling, uh, just through her performance, just because the movie allows every moment to kind of marinate. So then you ha- you don't need a whole lot more than the two actors, eventually, who are sit down and talk. 
And then you get to see her performance. So to me, it was very much, again, it's admittedly a film festival movie. It's a, kind of a hard to sell as action packed because not a lot narratively happens, but I think it's very accessible because there's a lot of people who have the idea of the way things were and the way things are and uh, the honesty of accepting life as it is. Nice. Great. Did you see that one, Matt? I did. Yeah, I liked it as well. It, it's it's definitely a small scale film. It's, you know, amongst, like I said, of all the films I saw, they were all pretty good. Uh, so it didn't, you know, rise to the cream, uh, like the cream to the top for me. But I, I did appreciate it if maybe I thought it was a little slight, but I, I get the I get the appreciation. Paul is a humongous Hallmark channel guy. And so slight is not a problem. Paul. <laughs> he's okay with that very much no, and that's, very minimal and that's, part, that's part of like why i like having both of you here because you have very different kind of paths that you gravitate toward and obviously there's going to be some overlap which is always neat to see so now plus two matt you're number three yeah so number three i have emergency which was for all intents and purposes the opening night film they do a couple of these every year and usually they like to kick off the fest with what they anticipate to be one of the one of the big winners and i think that that was certainly the case with emergency it seemed to get some of the most buzz of any of the films out of the festival i don't believe it's been picked up yet but i could i could be wrong but this is a film that's rooted in Black friendship and kind of this lingering omnipresent fear of police in their lives. Uh, it's about two college students who are set on different paths. One is kind of just taking life as it comes. He's a partier. He goes out. He, he's, uh, his intent is more to, to have fun, take advantage of a situation. Whereas his other friend is very successful, very driven also likes a good time. It's kind of your classic super bad scenario. And there's actually, there's a good amount in this movie that is directly borrowed from super bad, such as a plot where the driven guy is actually going to university the next year. And he hasn't told his friend about it yet. Literally right, right out of super bad, but emergency. I think what it does really well is it rather than go for like these big comedic beats, it's much more, rooted in like the emotional honesty of the situations, um, the discomfort of them and the friendship between these people. The crux of the whole film is that as they're going out to have this one last epic night, they find a white girl passed out in their house on their living room floor in a pile of her own vomit. Obviously their wheels start turning to Two black guys in a house, passed out white girl. They do not want to involve the police. And a series of misadventures transpires. A lot of people have kind of drawn the comparison between emergency and, and blind spotting. And I think that both take a similar approach in kind of like deconstructing like what it is to be black and have kind of that persistent fear of a police officer entering a situation and assuming blame. And that kind of like sets the tone for the whole movie. There's just like, it really, it does a very good job of kind of blending like the, the more humorous light aspects of this, of 
the drama with like the really heavy thematic stuff. And I thought that it handled it just very well. The performances were fantastic. Uh, both Donald Watkins and, and RJ Kyler were, were really terrific. They were some of the best performances of the festival as far as I was concerned. And just it's it's an accessible movie. I think I think general audiences are are actually going to be drawn to this one probably more so than than a lot of the as Paul put it uh, more quote unquote like film festivaly movies. So I think that this could definitely have a future and like find a good home and really be appreciated. Awesome. Yeah, I'd, I've definitely heard of it, Paul. I'm assuming you probably saw that one considering its pedigree. Yeah, uh, the one thing that sprang to mind was there's this old 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 onion article and i had to find it real quick it's romantic comedy behavior gets real man life arrested the whole idea is that this man just does all things you've seen in every rom-com thing but if he did them in real life he would get arrested because it's all unreasonable and the reason why that movie that article sprang to mind was i thought well you watch uh, emergency and then you think of something like super bad it's like of of course two black people can't do what Jonah Hill and they were doing in super bad. It'd be ridiculous because there's these pervasive social issues that they would have to deal with. They can't just go to a police and ride around and do donuts and a lot. That's absurd. So the film is actually, I agree. It's strong. I really love this film. Uh, the one thing I would say is I wish it was shorter because it's like almost two hours. I wish it had tightened up a bit because I think it has a lot of narrative weight to it. And I think that it does when it makes its statement, it makes its statement strong. So I really love the last act, especially that's when it really ramps up into something impressive. I just wish it was tighter that otherwise it'd be way up higher on my list. Well, it still sounds like a good recommendation from you as well. So that's good. Okay. So my number three is a film that I don't even want to really describe too much. Cause it's so fun. <laughs> Cause I don't want to ruin it at all for anyone, but it's uh the rom-com or Dating satire fresh. And I see oh, Matt nodding his yes. head. This is the movie where I'll put it this way. I know that the title card doesn't show up for the first half hour. And when it shows up, you're like, oh, this is where it's going. All I, all I can really say plot wise is this girl is fed up with the whole dating scene of, you know, all the stupid apps and meeting all these idiots while she's out there dating. She meets this super charming guy just in the world. And he just seems like Mr. Right. And the film takes a very specific turn and becomes something. I, again, I don't want to, I do not want to spoil one thing of it other than say Sebastian Stan is absolutely great at what he is as his character because this could have been just some super one sided film. But the lead actress, Daisy Edgar Jones, gets to play unconventional trope i guess if you want i don't want to give too much away but she gets to play an unconventional tilt on this trope because most of the time like laurie strode and all these other you know people they have to fight physically where she actually has a kind of philosophically battle (laughs) whatever she's dealing with and sebastian stan he's he's the takeaway from this film it is is a lot of fun just because of who he is and it is most bane for your buck Uh, it's not graphically violent except it is that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, I know the hook. I know kind of what it's about ultimately. So I can understand a little more what you're probably saying. Would you say it? It sounds like it's humorous in a lot of ways. Is it more? Oh, for sure. It's a dark comedy. Yes. Okay. Dark comedy. There we go. That's kind of what I was 
wondering. So that's good. Good, good. Matt, I'm sure you saw this. Oh, you know, I saw everything with a horror tag at this entire (laughs) festival. Yeah, I did. This was this was also one of my favorites of the festival. It, It didn't it didn't crush its way into my top mentions here. Got Paul, respect. You did a you did a pretty good job about tap dancing around uh, what this film actually is. I'll be honest. That was in, hard. <laughs> in my review of it, I mentioned the quote unquote twist. However, I feel like once this film starts to get marketed, they're going to reveal exactly the direction that it's going. But for the purposes of not spoiling, I think uh, yeah, you did you did a good job there. I think that Sebastian Stan will show up in one of our favorite Seattle Film Critics Society categories by the end of the year. I'll tease that. But I, I loved Fresh. It was super fun. I'll be honest, though, my my issue is like the first act to me is like perfection. I absolutely love the first act. The second act has some really amazing moments, but it's a little more jumbled. And then I, I got to be honest, the third act fizzles a bit for me. And in terms of where it ultimately ended up, I, it was satisfying, but I feel like they really could have knocked it out of the park and felt a bit like a bunt going into the end. But that said, I still really enjoyed it. I just wish that it had put the cherry on top to really make it a remarkable feature. Absolutely. I, I kind of agree with what you're saying there. I, I think you're right in the sense that it does get a little bit conventional. Like you got you to know what's going to happen that third act. I will just mention, last thing I'll mention is it's going to be on Hulu on March 4th. So Oh, wow. That's quick. Okay, cool. Outstanding. So, and, and is, does it have like any sort of like real theatrical quality to it? Or is it going to play just fine on a big screen TV at home? It'll be fine on TV. Okay. Yeah, there's there's actually there's some pretty impressive like cinematography, particularly early on when they're doing kind of the the meat cute stuff. But it's it's like anything at this film festival. There's really only a few that like really would pop on the on the big screen after yang being one of them yeah good point because we are talking like mostly indie features here and budgets are pretty small so that's gonna (laughs) play into that as well so that puts us at what matt uh, you're number two is that where we're at yeah that'll do it yeah so number two i had a film that probably would be considered the general consensus of the most popular of the festival. I mean, it won the audience award. It got picked up for a $15 million deal with Apple. This is, I'm talking about, I'm beating around the bush a little bit, but I'm talking about uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is Cooper Rafe's second film. His first film premiered at South by Southwest a few years ago. Shithouse also won the audience award there. Uh, This guy is off to quite a start. I, I loved Shithouse. I thought it was a great film. He kind of like did the a, a riff on the subgenre of romantic drama that are just like entirely conversation based. And in his second film, like he continues that thread of like having like very well defined characters and having meaningful, meaningful conversations transpire between them. But it doesn't just feel like a, a continuation of kind of the plot threads of what he did with Shithouse. This feels like an evolution. It, it feels like a good sophomore film should. Like he's just further refining his craft. I noted that this had a lot of... Uh, kind of DNA from the graduate for the Zoomer generation, because in essence, it's it's about a recent college grad, finishes at university, has kind of no idea where his life is headed, kind of like every 
college grad who hasn't been there before. If you're listening and you're in college, uh, buckle up, it's coming. But as he kind of returns home and he's, he's working for a meat stick shack in the mall, hawking hot dogs and corn dogs or whatever, he goes to a bar mitzvah, finds a passion for starting parties and meets an older woman played by Dakota Johnson. And she's engaged. She has an older daughter, but they strike up this romantic flirtation, um, which kind of becomes the beating heart of the movie. And although like the movie is, is kind of this will they, won't they with this relationship that uh, there's, you know, obviously people bring their own feelings to a movie that has infidelity kind of as something that you're betting for largely in within the movie. But the way that the characters are written I and mean, like the emotionality behind it is just so earnest and really kind of true to the characters that like it still remains like just a feel good crowd pleaser. And you just can't help but kind of like everyone involved in the movie very well written romantic kind of unapologetically just sweet and nice and i feel like that's something we, we don't really see a lot like and this is something that cooper rafe did in his last movie too he's just like he's willing to kind of cast himself as like this dweeby ultra sincere like nice guy and I understand the critique when people look at it like that. But for me, I just, I'm able to vibe with it. I'm like, I get it. Like, I'm glad that somebody out there is able to make this kind of film. That's able to just be like, so unironically like heart on the sleeve. And so it just, it really works. I mean, everyone who saw this, you had a strong opinion. Either you really, really liked it or uh, you could not stand uh, how sweet and thoughtful and nice it was but yeah just a just a, a huge success this is going to come to apple people are going to love this i mean i i don't know if it's up there with like coda in terms of like crowd pleasing potential but if there's one movie this year that is kind of on that level it's going to be cha-cha real smooth yeah it sounds really good to me i like shit house as well even though for me it was a little more difficult on that one just because i'd never been to college and so i couldn't fully relate and it was it looked authentic and awkwardly authentic, but I just didn't have that experience. And I can tell reading reviews of that movie that everybody that did go to college is like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what it's like. And that's always a, a great quality and I'm a big fan of Apple TV Plus. I think that they tend to get two or three just complete bangers every year that they've been in existence. And so that tells me that this is probably worthy of all the things you're saying. Paul, did you see it? I'm assuming you did. Yes. And I, uh, if you were asking earlier what happened to all the, the uh, attention for emergency, this is one of the movies that sucked all the energy and redirected it because this was, it was everywhere in terms of what the reaction I was seeing. People were like, I love this movie. I can't wait to see it again. So it, and I, I completely agree. It does have every hallmark of kind of, that's the coda is the first movie I thought of in terms of this is the type of film. And apparently Apple TV has a, a type that they go after <laughs> something that's very uh I, I can't get think of a better word than crowd pleaser i would say that um one thing that's really great about the film that i appreciated was the fact that the film if you just laid it down on paper doesn't really if as you're watching you don't know where it's going and that has a lot to do with coop the mate protagonist uh andrew played by cooper cooper rafe and the fact that it is unsure 
like he's unsure. He doesn't. The whole point of the movie is he's just plopped out of college and yeah, he's just kind of thrown out there in the real world, you know, without in the deep end, without any real directive. He's trying to figure it out. So I think if people go into the film knowing that and knowing that it's very ephemeral, like this is definitely a, a snapshot of a moment of somebody's life, then just take those things into consideration and go with the film and you'll enjoy it. Great. Sounds good to me. Looking forward to that one. So that's uh, your number two next. Yes. My number two is <laughs> I like a documentary and I like one that distills a lot of information, a lot of difficult information all at once. And, uh, synthesizes it and makes it accessible and because we live in the seattle area i thought that the downfall the case against boeing was fascinating because i only knew a little bit about this whole the boeing 747 max situation but this film not only describes in to be able to describe the technical reasons why an airplane falls out of the sky much less two airplanes is that's a daunting task because now you're just trying to go to joe consumer and this is going to hit Netflix on February 18th. So just anyone on Netflix who has no degree in aviation has to then understand what were the mechanical and cultural reasons why this happened. And in only 90 minutes, the filmmaker efficiently just moves right down the list of, OK, here's what happened. And here is the human face of all these people, hundreds of families who are affected by a completely, apparently completely preventable possibly uh, preventable set of disasters and how not only how did these specific events transpire but also how did the larger history that goes back of decades where this one company had all this goodwill and all this respect among people and among the aviation uh, experts through you know, since world war ii like how do you get from trusted manufacturer of aircraft to these whole thing, every plane of this make and model has to be put on the ground because it will put people into the ground. So I like anything that distills information, makes it accessible and puts first and foremost, the human face, the human element on it. So that's the reason why I'm uh, selecting downfall as my number two downfall. OK, and so that's coming to Netflix soon, who always has ends up having Oscar worthy docs in their uh, list every single year at this point. So keep an eye out for that. I actually don't know anything about that one. So I'm intrigued as well. All I see about Boeing, the most I know about Boeing is my Seattle uh, paper alerts that I get to my email every day and all of these constant like updates on Boeing's situation, but I never pay any attention to them. So that might be good for me. Well, that brings us, Matt, to your top pick, which I'm going to say is probably an 80% chance it says a horror element to it. <laughs> yes, correct. I, I don't know what's wrong with me, Aaron. Nothing, but, nothing's wrong with you. It's but, okay. Oh, no. When anyone sees the movie that I'm selecting as my top pick, uh, they, might, they might think otherwise. So no film affected me more than Christian Taft drops Speak No Evil. This is a psychological horror movie that very skillfully, very slowly reveals it, its hand. For the vast majority of the film, it kind of just plays out like a cringy dark comedy where situations are so kind of bizarre and unsettling that you can't help but kind of laugh to relieve some of the tension that's building up, very, very purposefully building up. And then 
in the last act, it just goes full, full blown horror and just leads to one of the most devastating and horrifying conclusions in a horror movie that I can think of probably ever. Very, very disturbing. Let me give a little more context as to what the movie actually is. This is a Danish Dutch. I can't actually remember, but it's about two families who meet on vacation. There is a Danish couple and they have a young child. She's probably six or seven. They meet a Dutch couple um, while they're in Italy. They become fast friends. Months later, they receive a postcard uh, inviting the Danish couple is invited to go spend a weekend with their with their new Dutch friends and things just get so weird and so bad off the off the top. So I was I was doing a little digging um, through like the director's notes and the writer director had mentioned that the inspiration from this film came actually from a weekend that he spent when he was a kid with his family who went on a vacation, met a couple, and then they got invited to go to like their family house, went for the weekend and off the top. It was just, it was bad. Like it was how every horror movie starts. Like (laughs) exactly. Like, and you know that something is off, but you don't want to do anything. And so what the film plays with is like, these social constructs that we've created for ourselves where we would literally rather put ourselves in danger than risk offending somebody where the presentation of pleasantness and and niceness and consideration becomes more important than self-preservation. And the way that this movie plays with that is just absolutely gruesome. It's just unrelenting. Uh, The performances are phenomenal the way that it just ratchets up tension is is like no other film i've seen in some time the only kind of touchstone that i can think of for this is michael haneke's funny games which people have very strong feelings on that's a movie i actually when i first saw that both the original and the remake i kind of hate that movie but i have my own issues with that i feel like it kind of intentionally cheats in a way that this movie does not. Um, But that's also kind of like playing with the expectation of like, what is it to intrude on somebody and allow them to be killed by their own kindness? So this just has a lot on its mind. It's so messed up, really just glued me in the whole time and then just sucker punched me and, and gave me nightmares for days. And like any movie that can give me nightmares for days, like A+. plus. I had to like actively, I'd wake up in the middle of the night having a nightmare about this movie. And I'm like, I got to think about something else. I got to think about something else. So major points. <laughs> I'm glad you bring it up because that will help people like me know to stay away from it if it's not <laughs> our thing. And it will also help people kind of understand and have real context for, I mean, I think that's what we do is, you know, we set expectations. That's what we do as movie reviewers in a big, big way is help people to see things through our perspectives. And that's why it's cool that we all have different versions of where we're coming from, because your opinion on that is going to appeal to somebody listening. They're going to be like, that is a must-see movie for me. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, yeah, if you're twisted and honestly, for me, like, I like horror because if you can make me feel something that strongly, like I resonate with something like dark because that's going to stick with me two, three days later, a week later, a month later, a year later than like a romantic comedy. I'm not going to think like, oh, that time when they were on the beach, like so sweet. I'm going to think about the stuff that like left exactly. me, uh, yeah. left me with nightmares. So this, and Paul this and I are the opposite. Absolutely that. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. 
I will tell you right now, I saw your tweet about how this movie gave you the horror guy nightmares. And I was like, I'm tabling this for another day. (laughs) I know, right? I I saw that. I was like, because in Sundance, you're just processing. You're going through movies. You're like, okay, I've got this one done. I'll get this review. Now I'm going to start the next one. I was like, I can't do that to this film. Because I, I know that if that's going to be in my head for the next film, I was like, I can't, I can't do that. So I'm just going to, I'll watch that when it hits Shutter or something horrifying. Well, okay. So what is your number one then, Paul? Is it going to be as scary or is it going to be something Hallmarky? Uh, well, it is uh, closer to scary, I would say. It definitely has horror elements in it. But if Terrence Malick and Robert Edgers combined and made a movie about a witch... Uh, then it would be uh, You Won't Be Alone. That was my favorite. And uh, the setup is basically this uh, witch, this supernatural being set back, in, I think, somewhere in the middle European block. I can't remember Mas- which country it was off the top of my head. In Macedonia, there it is. Kid, uh, there's a sacrifice of a child, like, hey, I won't eat you or whatever, but I will take your your daughter. So then this child is... I guess becomes a witch and then it's just that child living through years. Like the whole film takes place over a long period of time where she get grows up. She has to learn what it is to be a witch and she has to learn night, but it's not like she gets to learn hocus pocus. It's like an old school, scary witch. Like I don't know how to describe it other than supernatural being without a whole lot of background, you know, basically the stuff of folklore eats animals, you know, blood sacrifice from villagers, terrifies the locals, that kind of stuff. But uh, there's actually something very empathetic and beautiful about the word film, uh, which is the, the surprising part, because when you hear about, oh, well, it starts with a child sacrifice and then it just goes from there and there's two hours left. It's this person shape shifting and going through going through life and she kind of figures out what it means to be human and be who she is and see life through kind of a detached point of view but also figure out her own identity as well so weirdly observant and nearly poetic it's very strange to say that about uh again there's there's some pretty gory parts and there are some pretty uh unsettling parts of the film but taken as a whole i i actually really love this film well, I mean, I you got me with Terrence Malick and Robert Edgar's mashup. Like, uh, definitely worth checking out, in my opinion. So I wanted to check and see if you had any honorable mentions, anything else you want to just kind of lob out there. And before we do that, though, if you could both just recap your five titles so we can leave everybody with the titles fresh in their heads. I'll let Matt, you can go through your five, and then, Paul, you can follow up. Cool. Yeah, uh, five ahead after Yang. Then four was Watcher, three was Emergency, two is Cha-Cha Real Smooth, and finally at number one, Speak No Evil. All right, my five were After Yang, A Love Song, then number three, Fresh, number two, Downfall, The Case Against Boeing, and number one, You Won't Be Alone. Awesome. Any honorable mentions that you guys wanted to get in there for other things that you really loved? So many. <laughs> so many. Uh, let's see, I'm going to go ahead and throw out the honorable mention of Hatching. I loved Hatching. <laughs> that the one with the egg poster? Yes. Yes. That looks really creepy. It is teen angst. It turned into a monster movie. It is crazy. I loved Hatching as well. It's like kind of, it's like E.T. as a trauma film. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 
Jeez. It's great. Super fun. That pretty much nails it. (laughs) A couple others that I really liked. I loved um, God's Country. Fantastic Thandaway Newton performance at the center of that. Just like a backcountry slow burn thriller type revenge flick. Uh, Navalny was great. The documentary about the uh, Russian opposition journalist leader whose attempted assassination kind of pointed out many of the sketchy goings on in the Putin administration. That was that fantastic. That was the award winner, I think, festival Correct. favorite. Is that right? Yeah, that was both the festival favorite and I think it was the audience award winner for um, for a documentary feature. I think some people might like Duel. Other people might not. I think it'll appeal to people who are like off kilter. Very <laughs> Riley Stern's film. I think he did Faults a few years ago. He does this new film where this uh the protagonist figures out she's about to die she makes uh in this alternate universe this future you can make a clone of yourself to take take over your obligations and then you're dead then you're and then your clone keep uh keeps going on but in duel if you don't die you and your clone have to fight to the death yeah so this premise it's such a Lee Stern's movie. That's yeah. my problem. So this premise is the most interesting of the entire festival to me. When I heard it, it sounded like swan song with that extra little element of the duel. And I was like, I love my hard sci-fi. But the issue was Riley Stern's for me because I did not like the art of self-defense and the style of that movie. And I hear that this is very you... much totally the same. Yeah. If you didn't like that, you're not going to like this. Ah, it's, it. Yeah, it is I agree. right up the same alley. All very like deadpan and the the dialogue and the performances are like intentionally stilted like none of the characters use contractions it's all like i do not want to go to the store you know they might as well be robots they're they're more robotic than than yang is in after yang strange because the people have seen really like it and i'm like i don't know okay it's one of those polarizing like either you're on board and you let you dig into that tone and you're really gonna like it or you're not I liked it. I liked it. I didn't, I didn't love it. I liked it. I didn't love it. Another couple I throw out real quick, Aaron, Emily, the criminal is that's a fun one. That is uh, Aubrey Plaza who gets involved. She basically, it's basically Aubrey Plaza breaking bad, doing like credit card fraud. Klondike was great. That won the award for directing it for international features. Um, That's kind of like a ground level view of like the Ukraine, Russia, Russia invading the Ukraine. And we see it all through the eyes of like one couple who's right on the border. And it is just really a, a tough verite watch you know you're seeing everything through their eyes very well directed very deserved win and um, timely but yeah and that's oh my god right mm-hmm. uh that's not great yeah especially like we get the double feature of of klondike and navalny clearly russia is not looking so hot all we need is like a, a an olympic stock in here to just round out the trifecta <laughs> all right well, good deal Lots of movies, lots of titles to take in and remember. Nice to hear that some of these are going to be available as soon as this month, within a couple of weeks. And then some of the ones that were mentioned, something was rolling out in early March as well. So that's good because sometimes we talk about Sundance movies and it could be a year and a half to two years before these get popping up and available for you to see. But some of these you'll be able to get your eyes on pretty quickly. Well, before you go, I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find your awesome writing and connect with you on social media, whatever it is you want to plug, 
this is your chance, Matt. I will let you go first. Cool. Yeah. So website, silverscreenriot.com. Post many, many reviews. I think I did like 14, 15 out of Sundance this year. I was writing like a madman. I saw 33 total and tried to write about the ones that I liked the most. There were one or two that I wrote about that I, I didn't really care for. But for the most part, my reviews out of festivals try to be positive because why dunk on a movie that needs support more than it needs anything else. But you can find me on the socials. Uh, I mostly use Facebook. That's just Silver Screen Riot. I have a Twitter. I neglect it a bit. That's silverscreenriot.com. And then for the most part, if you're trying to follow along and engage, Facebook is, is probably the best way place to do so. All right, Paul, what about you? Where can they find you? All right. Well, I, uh, as Aaron mentioned earlier, I do a lot of weird festival coverage and Hallmark stuff. So it's a lot of, I don't know how to prepare people for that. But it, that weird hodgepodge is usually on my Twitter and I yeah, post uh, the reviews mostly on Facebook, but a lot more brain garbage on Twitter. That's what Twitter's used for, I think. So escape into film on Twitter. Escape into film on Twitter and then escape into film.com for your review coverage yes i yeah that is where all my reviews are and so usually they're tagged and organized you can find all that kind of stuff there and bonus if you're into the olympics paul is obsessive over them so for the next few weeks you're gonna see a blast of just non-stop olympic talk oh yeah movie channel. stuff is getting tabled <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i am so ready to table movie stuff i don't know about you paul. i bet after that yeah you guys need to take a look and of course of course, right we have, it's, it's like yep. ramping up finally because yep. now all that the normal movies are coming out. <laughs> hey, I gotta be honest though, I'm super stoked to see Jackass tomorrow and Moonfall. I'm yeah, oh, we got Moonfall in I'm a ready. couple days. Yeah, I'm ready bring for that. it on. I'm there. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully, you've found some Sundance movies to be excited about. And always want to hear from you. If you do, you can connect with me on Twitter at Feel and Film. There is the Feel and Film Facebook discussion group as well. We always encourage you to come be a part of. Links to all the social stuff is in the show notes. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to go to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and or review that helps us get seen and helps us draw attention for folks that are trying to make a decision on what to listen to. That's it for this show. We'll be back a little bit later this week with a couple of reviews. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filled.